Hello listeners, this is Lee Price. This is Will Ford from Football365. And you're listening, smartly, to At, At The, the Bridge, Bridge Pod, Pod, a Chelsea, Chelsea FC podcast. podcast, although I would describe it as THE Chelsea FC Podcast. What's up everyone, you're listening to At The Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC podcast, your number one source for all things Chelsea. This week we are taking a look at Euro 2020 from the Chelsea perspective. Who stood out, who didn't, and how did our predictions turn out? Now here are your hosts all the way from the UK, Mikey Berth and Chris. Welcome back everyone to another episode of At The Bridge Pod. I'm your host Mikey and for England, football didn't come home. The weather did. Oh, it's toasty. Uh, I'm joined as always by my two co-hosts Berth and Chris. How are we doing guys? Oh, you know what? Why did you have to say that? I was just getting over it, not coming home. You said it was coming home last week. No, we, we I did. We were all convinced, apparently. And in all fairness, we was very close and it was a great effort and we lost to a very, very good team. So we should be proud of England because I certainly am anyway. But England aside, I'm very good. It's quite warm, I must admit. I'm sweating right now just recording this. Chris, how are you doing? Uh, I was all right until I had to sit in the car to record this in this heat, and now I'm I'm sweating. It's actually dripping off me. So uh, by the end of this, I reckon I would have lost weight. Well, I'll tell you what, well, this is why we need video. We need a video edition of this show. This episode, <laughs> particularly, to be fair, I say that I, I, you know, I was my little bit of information I wrote down was well. Once we've recorded this, I'm going to watch the new Space Jam, and I'm really hyped for it. But now I just feel like, considering I've said about video and just sort of. Uh, Bit of banter on you. I dropped ketchup down myself, so I kind of uh, don't want video at the moment. So I was like, nope, don't need that. Well, to um, be fair, like, like we said before recording, I'm currently eating my pizza. So, you know, I've got tomato all around my face. I've got what, barbecue what toppings? sauce down. Key, key, key information, toppings. Right, okay. This is going to be very controversial. I know, obviously, this isn't football related. You've picked pineapple, <laughs> haven't you? No, I haven't. I haven't, okay. right. It's margarita, which mm-hmm. a lot of people say is boring. Not and really. I get it. Classic. But tell me one time you've had a bad margarita pizza. That is true. That, that's all I'm saying. I, you know, I don't like to get experimental. I don't, I don't want too many toppings. I just want to eat it, enjoy it, and feel good about it. And I am currently feeling good about my pizza. That's fair enough. Um, other than the pizza, we're, giving, we're going to give a special shout out. This is a terrible segue. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give a special shout out to all the incredible messages we've had this week from listeners because we have had a fair few. Um, so many different places on this planet and it was like it's just still amazing to think that people listen to our show in different corners of the globe be it canada trinidad which was one particular one that was like wow um just sharing how they love our show and discovered it and we do read them and if you do drop us a dm we do appreciate them so we do thank you very very much for that on our journey from where we came from two years ago to where we are now we we appreciate all feedback and all messages we truly do um, with that, though, we're going to head straight into the newsroom and see what the latest is at Stamford Bridge. So this episode, we're going to be looking back at Euro 2020 from the Chelsea perspective, of course. But first, you know where we're going. We're heading into the elevator of transfer news to find out uh, the transfer news. Chelsea have reportedly offered Kurt Zuma plus cash for Roma defender Gianluca Mancini. Mark Gurhi is heading to Crystal Palace on a five-year deal. It includes a sell-on and a buyback option, apparently. Jorginho has been named in the UEFA Euro 2020 team of the tournament. Jules Kunde would push for a move away from Seville this summer if a serious offer came in for him from Chelsea. He's already rejected Spurs. Wayne Hennessy is going to be joining Burnley and not Chelsea, as first expected. Chelsea have inquired to Juventus about Federico Chiesa. Juventus have declined those talks. Apparently, the bid was around 95, 100 million euros. Ross Barkley and Loftus-Cheek are expected to leave Chelsea on loan or on permanent deals if a buyer can be found. Newcastle have been monitoring Conor Gallagher. They're interested in taking that guy on loan. We're still interested in Declan Rice. We're also looking at a variety of centre-backs and showing interest in Nicholas Stuhl and Ben White. Chelsea have made an offer to Dortmund, including one of hudson Adoy or Tammy Abraham for Erling Haaland. Chelsea have not made any offer for Erling Haaland. Dortmund will not entertain any swap deals for Haaland. And finally, no one has a clue what is going on with Chelsea and Erling Haaland. Uh, guys, what, what, 
what what are your thoughts on all of those great bits of news? Probably the Harlem bit's the best, but uh, go ahead. I mean, to be fair, we've talked a lot about the Harlem situation, so I think I'll, I'll try and shy away from that. Obviously, that rumour isn't going to go away anytime soon, and that will just rumble on and rumble on. Hopefully we get him, but, you know, it, it's going to be one of them, it seems. I think um, being blunt, being blunt, no one has a fucking clue. No, it, it's the amount of rumour, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, t- I totally agree. But I'll, I'll pick up a few points I've had the past couple of weeks. Um, a lot of people have been upset about the Mark Gurhey situation. And I get it. I do get it. Um, I think it was a strange one because you thought after selling to Maury to AC Milan, you thought maybe Mark Gurhey could have a chance at Chelsea. And it just seems that he's got a lot of potential and it seems like it may be another one of those where we end up buying him back for double the price we sold him for. Um, let's be honest, I don't think he's Chelsea ready yet. Could he eventually be Chelsea ready? Yes, I think so. But so could Tamori. So I think, in my personal opinion, I think I was more upset over the Tamori situation than the Gurhi situation. Um, I think when it comes to someone like Chiesa as well, I'll go, I'll go on to that point. I think Chiesa looked superb in the Euros. I think, for me, he was one of the standout players. I think he really gave that spark to Italy going forward. I think he scored some very important goals. And he even looked good for Juventus last year when I watched him. So, I mean, 95 million is quite a lot of money. Um, And I don't think we need sort of a winger right now. I think we're sort of okay in that department. But... You know, he is a great player, but I, I don't think we'll actually get him. I think that is just sort of rumour and sort of hearsay at the moment. Um, it, it's a, Georgie, yeah, it's a weird one with Chiesa because he's on loan at Juventus. Yeah, yeah. With the obligation weird. to buy. And I don't know how it, if we bid the money we bid, are we paying Juventus because of that obligation to buy? And if we buy him, then does that mean that... Juventus yeah. then pay the money. It's it's a bit of a mind bend because I don't quite understand how that deal would work. But yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think the, the other one that sort of caught me was the Jorginho situation. I think for me, I, like Yaz, I think he was a stand-up performer for Italy in the Euros, and I think a lot of fans have been critical of Jorginho and still are. And I, I can see why he's one of those players that just sort of divides the fan base. But I think what you got realised is he's a very passionate player. Um, he's a terrific player at controlling the tempo. And when you've got the right players around him, he is a world-class midfielder. And I think he's more than cemented his place at Chelsea. I think he's a quality player. I think even if we get Declan Rice, I don't think that'll be the end of Jorginho. I think, you know, him and Kante were the best partnership we had that season. I know people say him and Kovacic, but I think he works better with Kante. Um, and I just think, you know, he, he deserves a lot of credit because the amount of stick he's got online and, you know, he, he doesn't really deserve it half the time. And I think he's very much a scapegoat. And I, I think the Euros proved that actually he's just a fantastic player. Yeah, uh, I don't really know where to start with all of them. Uh, I think I think they got the, the Gehi situation. I think people have absolutely lost their mind over something that probably, what, three years ago, before the transfer ban, if we'd sold an academy player for 25 million, everyone would have been saying that's really good business. But now we've had a couple of academy players come into the first team and do well. Everyone seems to want all the academy lads to come into the first team, which I'm all for if they're good enough. But, you know, let's face it, we're with the Gehi situation, he's had one good season at Swansea in the Championship, and they didn't get promoted. So, although I, 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 from what I've seen of him, he has got good potential. The fact that we've inserted that buyback clause and got 25 million for him, I think he's actually really good business when you look at it that way. If he develops into a really good player, we can buy him back. I imagine that buyback clause isn't set at too much more than we've sold him for. That's normally how buyback clauses work. And if he doesn't fulfil his potential, then we've got 25 million for a player who was never going to make the first team. You know, I don't think you can turn that sort of money up for a player who's never played a minute for you. I agree with, I agree with you, but the Tamori situation was more disappointing for me because yeah. he had made first team appearances and proved that he could do it at this level. But no one seemed yeah, to care exactly. about it. I yeah, don't know. Exactly. 
that was. I think everyone's getting frustrated with the Haaland situation because they want that sorted. And I've seen some tweets about it just shows that there's no pathway for the academy that's into the first team and that anymore. And I just think it's all a massive overreaction to one player sale who may or may not turn out to be good. Um, the the Mancini one from Roma, I actually think that would be a good move. I think he's a good, solid, strong defender. He's played in a back three at Roma. He's played in a back four at Roma. And he can play defensive midfield as well. So if if we could get him, he's more versatile, I would say, than Kurt Zuma is. I think Zuma was excellent under Lampard in a back four. But he does struggle in a back three. Mm-hmm. And obviously, he, he can't play holding midfield either. So I do think that that move would make sense. Because I just think Mancini would give us more depth in different formations and different positions. Yeah. No, I think that's that's fair. I mean, the Loftus Cheek thing comes to mind. I, as we've always said, it's probably the end of the line for him potentially. Barker yeah. as well. Um, we do need a backup goalkeeper at some point, so it's a bit of a shame. I'm really gutted about Hennessy, but it's we do need a backup goalkeeper at the end of the day. Um, so that'd be we'll just go for someone else, I suppose. If Sergio Romero's up there. The Ben White and Nicholas Stuhl, some people, I saw that actually, Mark Gurhi, oh, we're getting rid of him, but we're going to go for those two. And you're like, social media is toxic at the best of times, but it just seems to be, like I tweeted out earlier, it's almost like everyone's expecting that, what are the board doing right now? Are they just sort of, they're, they're not sat on their phones, guys, playing Candy Crush or Fortnite. They're actually working. We've always done our business privately. We always have. And if you want an example for now, um, was Mark Gurhey going? No one knew that until bang, it happened. Let's just yeah. calm down. Let you know, as again I tweeted out, out of all the top ten sides, only Leicester, Liverpool, and technically Manchester United, because Sancho isn't official, but and I know they've got Tom Heaton back, but you know, they have no one's made a major sign in. So let's just chill. You know, no I don't see any Man City fans losing their uh, their minds yet. It's a small minority that are losing their minds, but it always feels like it's louder than it actually is with the yeah the Haaland thing just let it play out it'll either go the way we want it or it won't if it doesn't I'm sure the board have many other targets be it Lukaku or someone else let's just see how it goes you know simple as that um so Euro 2020 concluded with a penalty shootout uh I'll keep it I was going to bring up England but I can see it's still going to be a sour topic but we'll have a look at it from a Chelsea perspective we got two European champions for both club and country in Emerson and Jorginho. We've talked up the prospect of N'Golo Kante for the Ballon d'Or if France won. But does this mean there is a campaign for Jorginho to lift that award after his outstanding year so far? No, I don't think he should get it. And I don't think... Please leave. No. <laughs> no, but like, like, this is coming from someone that I didn't think Kante should have got it if he won uh, the Euros. I, you know, I mean... Yes, Jorginho's been fantastic for Italy. He's been fantastic for Chelsea, but has he been Chelsea's best player? No. Was he now in play of the tournament? No. Was he Italy's best player of the tournament? Potentially no. I just think when you look at someone like Lewandowski, who's just been incredible this year. I know he hasn't won like a major trophy, but look at his season for Bayern Munich. You look at Messi, who's just won the Cup for America, you know, and he's just been ridiculous for, for Barcelona, being their best player, being Argentina's best player best player of the Cup of America, I just think there are better options. Well, not better options, that's a badly worded, but I think there are more obvious choices, I think, for, for the Ballon d'Or. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from Jorginho. Obviously, you just heard what I said, so I think he's been fantastic, but I just I don't think he should get it, and I don't think he will get it. Chris? Uh, I agree with Beth. However, I think... <laughs> I agree with what Jorginho said about it himself. If we're talking about talent, then he's nowhere near. But if you're talking about successes, then he is right in what he said, in that no one has won more than him this year. Messi was incredible for Barcelona, but they had a really bad season. Um, he was good at the Copa America, but as I brought up in the group chat, I, I, don't, I, pers- I don't see how that competition can be on the same level as a Euros or a, a um, World Cup. It, it's... It just can't be the, the the lack of quality teams in it every year. That I mean, to be fair, they've held it like every year for the past five years, haven't they? 
he was bound to win it once when you consider it's always Brazil and Argentina or maybe Chile in the final. Um, it is an individual award, though, and Messi had a great season individually himself, as did Lewandowski. I just think it's that, it's that thing with Jorginho where if he hadn't already derided the Chelsea fan base as much, so he didn't already have so many fans almost against him, would we have looked at him differently this season in terms of his contribution? I'm not sure. You know, would he have been more valued if people hadn't already took a dislike to him? If you know what I mean? Yeah, I um, And it's that thing where I think if it was if it was Luka Modric or if it was Tony Kroos, for example, who had played like Jorginho did in the Champions League and won it with Real Madrid and then played like Jorginho did in the Euros and won it with Germany, and people were talking about Tony Kroos winning the Ballon d'Or, would there be such a, a reaction to it as people saying how stupid it is? Mm. I didn't hear I didn't hear that when Luka Modric won it. There was a few murmurings that he, he, he probably didn't deserve it, but no one was losing their mind like they are with the Jorginho thing. I do think sometimes people judge players on what they don't do or on what they've failed at in the past rather than what they're doing now. I don't think he should get it, but I'm just saying, I just think if he was playing for Real Madrid or Barcelona and doing the same things, I don't think we'd be having a conversation about does he deserve it or not. I think we'd just let it play out. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's funny you should say that, Chris, because I, I've re-listened uh, to our Euro prediction podcast before the Euros, and I said, if England won the, the Euros, you know, would Mason Mount be in with a shout of, of the Ballon d'Or? Yeah. And I think if Mason Mount, and obviously England won the Euros, and Mason Mount was to go on and get the Ballon d'Or, would have Chelsea fans been as upset or as divided? Or would, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think yeah. they would have been really happy and really a lot more behind it than they would the Jorginho to win the Ballon d'Or situation. Definitely. Well, Messi's his odds on he's two to five to win it, and then it's Lewandowski at six to one, and then you got Ronaldo, Jorginho both at ten to one, and then Harry Kane, he's he's in fifth. So, yeah, for me, they're not going to judge the candidates on the recent games, as in the Jorginho penalty he missed it. That's never going to matter. It never does. It's all the performances across. I say the season, but it's not, is it? Because it's based on the year, and even on that basis, Messi will win it. I mean, he will. He. I, I think yeah, even will. without the Copper America, he's just too hard to neglect because the award, he alone, he gave so much last season for Barcelona. Without him in the Barcelona team, even at the age he is now, Barcelona are lucky to be finishing top three. I mean, they'd be, would they even be in the Champions League spots without Messi last season? No. I mean, it's a, we know we've seen so many stories and their debt and, their situ- and it is an abysmal situation they've been left in. Um but to make it easy, Jorginho is not as vital to us as Messi is to that Barcelona and Argentina side. And although I'd argue that Jorginho is super important to the national team, he's not super important to club level throughout our season. That's it as a season. You know, Tuchel obviously swapped him in and out of the side and his kind of role of importance did sort of change. Um, does he deserve to be on the list? I mean, he's been phenomenal in the second half of the season and in the Euros. He's a winner, two-time winner. So, yes, of course he does. Will he win it? No. I think Messi's walking it because of the fact that he carried Barcelona and he's got that international trophy. Simple as that. No one can go, well, Ronaldo's got one. Messi, Messi's got one. And fair play. It was great to see him. All the, When their final whistle went and they all went towards him, it was it was just so so heartwarming to see. Because he deserves it. He does. Um, apart from, though, his value jumping up, I'm going to move to the other two-time winner. Do you think this quarter changes anything for our backup left-back in Emerson? I mean, isn't this now the perfect time to sell him and make the most profit on a sale, or should we look at keeping him within the squad? You know, it's an interesting point. I didn't really think of that, because I actually think Emerson had a very good Euros, I think. Really good Euros, to be fair. Yeah, he, he, he played very, very well. Um, look, I think it, it depends what you want to play and what Tucker wants to play next season. I think if you're looking at keeping the, the five at the back um, and playing with wing-backs, I do think Marcus Alonso is just a better option because I think he's more of a goal threat than Emerson. Um, Emerson, as a left-back, gives you more options and I think he's better than Alonso. I think he's obviously quicker. Mm. I think, he, he, you know, he's, his recovery runs a lot better than Alonso. So I think it all depends on what Tucker wants to play. I think it looks like we're going to play at five of the back next season, so I think it might be a good time to 
to shift Emerson on now, especially after having a good Euros, being a European champion now. So maybe it is a good time to actually make some profit on him and get him for more, send him for more than we thought he was going to. So yeah, I think sending him would be a good option right now. That's fair. Uh, Chris? <laughs> See, I agree with that, Beth. I think, well, when you look at it, like you said, if you if we're going to keep the back five, which I imagine we are, Alonso is a better backup wing back than Emerson, because, um, like you said, Alonso adds that goal threat, and he is a very very good wing back. But we know that Marcus Alonso really can't play left back. He, he can't can play. Defend. No, he, he he can obviously he can play there, but his standard drops so dramatically from left wing back to left back. Whereas I think Emerson isn't as good at wing back as Alonso. He is better at left back. But I would say his level doesn't drop as much when you're moving him from left back to left wing back as Alonso from left wing back to left back. I think overall Emerson's probably just a better squad player because he could if we do change to a back four at some point during the season and Chilwell was out, I'd rather see Emerson lining up at left back, I think, than Alonso. Um I, I personally, I think it would be it would be more time to move Alonso on because he's he's getting older. He's never going to get any value back. I think Emerson, if you were to keep him this year as as the backup player, and he was to have even a, a half decent season for us, with him being Italian, Italian clubs will always be interested. His age is good, so his value will stay. Mm, Whereas yeah. Al- Alonso's value is only going to decline now, and you know. If we, Keep him for another year and then try and sell him next summer. You'll be lucky to get what eight million for him if he was lucky. It's it's a very difficult trade off here. I mean, the value will never be higher because based on his contract, his performances, he's in the spotlight now. I mean, and many Serie A clubs will want him. He's a winner of the European Championships. It's a bit like the argument of Leverkusen with Patrick Schick, you know, and and obviously I guess Sampdoria with Damsgaard. You know, will their stock ever be higher? Well, possible, you know, if they're quite young. But you know, obviously, how players can sort of have a great tournament. James Rodriguez stands out particularly. And then they sort of decline and they're not that level that they were. But that's the point. He's in the shop window and he's he's younger than Alonso. He's arguably better and more reliable than Alonso. But it's then the personal side. Would he accept a backup and rotation role within the side after the European Championships that he's had? I mean, if I'm him, I wouldn't, I'd want to play. And the potential to do so back in my home country, I'd push for the move to the Serie A. I would, because home country, I know I'm going to be playing week in, week out. I know Chelsea, great team. They're, they're the European champions, but they're going to pick Chilwell over me. Uh, the final point, though, on Emerson, I mean, people have got to remember, when, when we signed him, he was one of, if not the best left back in Italy before he joined us. He weren't a bad player. I mean, if you, I know you could go, well, he won't. Honestly, if you look at the Serie A and look at the left backs that were in around his time at Roma, he's one of the standout stars. And he has the quality to do well and he showed us he can do, but I just feel he will. I could see him being moved on instead of Alonso. I just feel that I wouldn't be surprised if the board get, well, they want apparently 20 million for him and a lot of clubs are balking at that. I think that's kind of a bargain, really, considering. You know, we look at other stars after a European Championships or a World Cup, but you have to see, really. I do, uh, think, oh, Mikey, sorry. I do think on that, though, the thing is, it, I agree, he could very well now say, you know, I've just won the European Championships of Italy. But until the Spinazzola injury, he was second choice there as well. Correct, yeah. Um, I don't know which Italian club he would go to where he would definitely play every single week unless he drops down a cl- like a tier of club you know if you look at the champions league clubs from from italy you've got inter milan mm-hmm. uh juventus atlanta ac milan He'd, i'd say napoli get first first you know first 11 yeah I, I mean possibly but i don't think he's guaranteed at any of those so he could move and be a backup player at any of them as well so I do think it would be it would be a slight risk for him to to do that. The the only thing I would say is I don't think he's got a chance of being our first choice. So that might play into it because he's not gonna he's not gonna dislodge Chilwell because Chilwell is is better and cost us. 
you know, uh, six, it, it, yeah. I, he's better than Kolarov as well at Inter Milan, and Kolarov's hardly twenty. Yeah, and they've, they've just lost Ashley Young as well, haven't yeah. they? So <laughs> I'm a bit oh, when you lose him and you're gutted. That's, <laughs> oh, a, no. that's a weird I world can... we're in. Uh, before we look at our predictions, because and have a good old laugh at them, uh, a special mention has to go to Chelsea legend Gianluca Vialli. You know, in the last twelve months, just over twelve months, but he's not only beaten cancer, but he's lifted the championships as part of the coaching staff with Italy, and he's nearly missed out on not being on the bus. We've all seen that. Um, but what a year for him! What a bloody year! I mean, we love him. We do all love him, and it's great to see it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I was so chuffed for him. I know the commiseration with the England side, but you know you've won a major trophy as part of the staff for your with your country. You've beaten an absolute horrible disease. It, it's been a great 12 months for him. I think we can all agree, can't we? Yeah, definitely. And you know, generally, Kvyale, when I first sort of was growing up, he was the first Chelsea manager I remember. So he's a very vital part of my childhood and a very big part of me supporting Chelsea. So. There always be a special place in my heart for for Viali, and I think you know obviously I was devastated and heartbroken when England lost. But looking back, you know, you, you kind of are happy for for Viali and are happy that one and first and foremost that he's healthy and and, and smiling. I think that's the main thing that you want him to see. And now that he's won a European trophy and being a part of that, I think that's also really really good to see as well. Yeah, and for the record, I did include him in the best Italian that played for Chelsea in that poll, but. Giorgino and Zola were the top two, and people were really unhappy with that, Always which I get it. I get it. I, and then I picked them two. And then so, some people seem to have jumped on that and gone, so you had to pick those two. No, that was who won the poll, and people weren't happy. So I did the two. Stat- yeah, whatever. But, uh, yeah. Um, quickly, though, before we look at the predictions, we'll, we'll throw out some awards. It's only four. Uh, player of the tournament for me. I think three picks, Spinazzola for his injury, Chiesa or Sterling. I think all three had an incredible campaign. Sterling probably, arguably, he was probably going to be sold. Apparently that was the talk and going to Spurs or Arsenal. And now he's like amazing. Fair play to him. He's had a great, great tournament. Uh, guys, who was your quick player of the tournament? I mean, for me, I, th- I think I'll, I'll stick with England because obviously I'm English. I don't know if you've noticed, but um, I think. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Sterling, I, th- I think, proved a lot of people wrong, but I- I'm going to go a bit, bit left field here. I'm actually going to go Declan Rice. Um, I-, I thought. Oh, damn. For, for, no, uh, people are going to hate, but I thought if you watched every single England game like I did, I thought he was immense. I thought he was just running the midfield. Him and Calvin Phillips are excellent. That final, why he took. Declan Rice, off, I do not know because I thought he was the best player on the pitch at that time. So for me, I think I think the one person that just went above everyone else and I noticed the most was uh, was Declan Rice. But I can uh, see, you know, uh, Sterling, Chiesa, yeah. Georgina, Donovan. I can see people choosing them. Um, Chris, well, I can't skirt past that Rice thing. I know. Uh, I was like, ooh. <laughs> I I do agree. In the final, I thought Declan Rice was incredible, and that substitution made no sense whatsoever. Um. But I thought against Denmark, both Rice and Phillips was awful. The amount of times Denmark got in behind our midfield was was shocking. Like oh, one I think back other out, than that, I'd agree with you on that. But I think other than that, I thought they were both brilliant. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they, they was a lot better than I, than I thought they was going to be. Let's put it that way. And I do agree. Yeah. Aside, Denmark game aside, I thought Rice especially was quite consistent throughout. I thought Phillips had ups and downs, especially in games. He had like you know, periods of the game where he was really good, then periods where he wasn't so good, where Rice was quite consistent across the board. Um, my player of the tournament, though, I, I would give it to Jorginho. I, I don't think Italy win the tournament without him. I think of all the Italian players, is probably the only one who comes close to Jorginho, but he's so integral to how they play that I, mm. I just don't think they would have won it without him. No, that's, that's are going to be after you, after this podcast, Chris. <laughs> They're going to be gunning for you. Uh, Chelsea and Leeds fans now. Though. Yeah, that's true. Game game of the tournament. I'll keep it quick. I picked France three, Switzerland three. I mean, it was a tough call between that one and Spain, Croatia, but that game had it all. You know, Switzerland took the shock lead, quick two goal comeback from France, and then Benzema does that outstanding, brings that ball down, scores it. Oh, don't I don't get it. Uh, Pogba scores that amazing goal, and then there's the comeback, the penalty shootout. It was the shock of the tournament. That that's my pick, guys. Yeah, I mean, I watched both of those games, Spain, Croatia game, and then the France-Switzerland game, and what a day of football that was. I mean, it's incredible. But I think probably the France-Switzerland game just beat the Spain game just because of the 
Swiss beating the French on penalties and the sort of last minute goals and Switzerland being out of it and missed penalty, this and that. I, I just think there's a tiny bit more to that game than the other game, but it, mm. it was an incredible tournament for games. It's probably one of the best tournaments I've actually seen. Because I, I think, you know, it was just really good game after really good game after really good game. And I don't think any get one game was boring. So credit to the whole tournament and the players involved. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, Chris? Yeah, I would pick France Switzerland as well. I think it was the shock factor more than anything. Um, when Switzerland took the lead and then they had the penalty and then they missed it and then France went 3-1 up and you thought it was over, especially a team like France and then Switzerland to get back into it and then the penalty shootout drama. I don't think, but I am with Berth. I don't think it was, I don't think there was a bad game really at the tournament. You know, there was a couple that wasn't up to the standard of, of most of the others, but not terrible games. I think you could have picked even some of the lower scoring games were still really good games. I think overall it was just a brilliant tournament. Well, there's only one nil nil, and that was England Scotland. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, favorite moment? I- I've gone quick. I've gone 28th of June. Just gen- the 28th of June. I mean, possibly the greatest day in Euro history. Maybe. I mean, it's one of the most exciting footballing days because, as we said, Croatia, Spain. Then it was France, Switzerland. What a treat! You know, Pedri had that own, own goal. Croatia's then come back. Morata's injury time, heroics. Um, Granit Xhaka was amazing. Uh, Switzerland again. Benzema, the late equaliser, and then the penalty heroics from Sommer. It was amazing. Just great day. Uh, guys, your picks. I mean, yeah, that's something I never thought I'd hear someone say. Granit Xhaka was amazing. Oh, it's amazing. To be fair to him, he was unbelievable that game. Never and said I a bad word me, about him ever. <laughs> I think for me, you know, watching England in in a national yeah. final international final sorry i think that is something that you just don't see very often mm. at all so this that could be a once in a lifetime opportunity i know we lost again it was heartbreaking on that but i think after that semi-final the, the way i felt was an incredible feeling and you know that's why football is so amazing because you get moments like that and i just think that for me will it's very hard to top watching your national side get to a, a tournament final uh what, what about you chris uh, I would say um, the opening ceremony in Rome on the Friday night. I just think the yeah. the Nest the and Dormus singing and the t- you you know you knew the tournament was starting and it's the first time in a long time I think fans being back and, and that all helped. But the first time I sort of got goosebumps before a game and you just knew a tournament was starting. That was probably the moment of the tournament for me. I mean, I'll tell you what was a really nice. good moment. Sorry to interrupt. I, I think. Denmark beating Russia 4-1 and realising that oh, they yeah. got through. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, like, you know, when I was on the phone, like, for Ericsson and that, I, th- mm-hmm. I think that was a really yeah, yeah. beautiful moment, you know, and a real sort of... It showed great sort of strength between friends and, and sort of unity. I, I just think, you know, as a neutral, I thought that was a really beautiful moment to see. I actually did write down for an unforgettable moment how the world of football as well came together for Ericsson because it was an unforgettable moment in such yeah. a... Yeah. In such a bad way, of course, to see what we we saw unfold, it was you know we'll it will live with us, and obviously it will live with his family and the players and everyone in that state. It was absolutely dreadful, and the fact that it was a positive outcome just makes it. it that's that's the thing, you know. It's a life, and thankfully he'll hopefully won't be. He'll go on to live a full life. Obviously, whether he plays again is is up in the air, but you know at the end of the day he's, he's alive, and that's what matters really. Yeah. So. Definitely. Well, quickly, we'll look at these predictions. Um, I picked to win it. I picked France. What did you guys go with? I went with France as well. So that's fair. Be... I don't think that's a shock. No, yeah. Uh, I picked Italy. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I li- when I listen to that, true. I thought Chris is going to be gloating later. He, he got it. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit like the dark horses because obviously that's the next category. And I did say Denmark or Italy, but I couldn't pick, you know, Italy, you know, are they really a dark horse? And I could see the argument. And then I was torn between Denmark and Turkey. And I did state, you know, <laughs> they would either be, re- and I quote, really bloody brilliant or totally fucking dreadful. And they were the latter. So in a way, that's a prediction. Uh, what were your picks, guys? Um, so I actually picked England as one of my dark horses. And I think, you know, I think that was a good shout. I think I picked England and Denmark. So, you know, one got to the semi-final, the other got to the final. So I think that's that's pretty good for me. I think I've done well there. I'm quite happy with that. Chris? You have, you have done well there, Berth, to be fair. Yeah, that's, it's that's, a that's, not, that's not Thank too you. bad, that. Uh, I picked yeah. Portugal. 
and now it's disappointing, I think. Mm. Yeah, Christian yeah. didn't do well there. No, not, not done great there. I mean, talking of disappointments, biggest flop, uh, I went with Germany or Spain. Well, Spain clearly weren't. They surprised everyone. Fair play. Uh, Germany weren't. Germany was so close to going out, so close, and they, then they didn't. So, ah. Uh, guys? Um, I went with Holland, which I, I think is another good shout for me. They weren't think... great. No, I mean, did they go out to in the end? Was it Ukraine they went out yes. to? Last two yeah, so, I mean, come on. No, the, no. Who went... no, was it? Uh, Czech Republic. Czech Republic. Czech Republic. Czech Republic. Czech Republic. Yeah. Ukraine was in their group, but even so, yeah. you know, no offence to Czech Republic, but a team like Holland with the players they've got, they really should be getting to at least the quarterfinals, semi-finals. I think, you know, with trying to bore in charge, it, it just, no offence to him, you know, Great servants of football, but it was just destined to fail with that Holland side. And mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of tournaments yeah. in the past, they've just failed again. Chris, yeah. well, I can gloat again a bit here because <laughs> I, when I predicted this, I was going really against you two, and I picked I know where this is the going. biggest disappointment. He's right, he's right. And, I mean, and I can't they believe disappointment. I can't <laughs> believe you picked France, Chris. You genius. Like, he's, who won it. France? He's, he's won it Top. here. I told you they would bottle it, and they did. They did. Um, yeah. This one's a quick one. England. I picked semi-finals. That's technically true. Uh, you two? Um, so I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here because obviously, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll pick quarterfinals. But what yeah. I will say about this England team is yes, they're not pretty on the eye, but they got to a final. And I think there's been a lot of criticism recently about Gareth Southgate and this and that, but. You have to give credit to Gareth Southgate because he's now got us to a final and a semi-final in major tournaments. Now, you can say about the mistakes he made, and yes, he, he probably did make a few mistakes here and there, but you have to give massive credit to Gareth Southgate and these players because for the first time in a long time, I am proud to be an England fan. And, you know, some of the abuse that I've seen for, for Bakayo Saka and, and Rashford and Sancho, that is absolutely ridiculous. That is absolutely just they are not England fans, they're not fans of football. They shouldn't even class as human beings because those it's three disgusting. Players, we you know, it, it, we've it said is, it yeah. before on the show. Yeah. It's just like those three players, like I am proud of those three players and I'm proud of every single one of those players that put their heart and soul on the line because I cannot say that any of those players gave less than hundred and twenty percent. So for me, you know, I'm proud that England got to a final. I'm proud that they proved me wrong and I'm proud that Gareth Southgate proved me wrong because they've shown a lot of passion. All of them have. For that, yeah. I'll always be grateful. Yeah, uh, Chris, who where did you say England were charting? Uh, I really underrated them. Uh, I picked last 16. I, I, I just did, I didn't see us beating a big side at a tournament. I, That's I, fair. You know, I think Berth, right? I think Southgate deserves a lot of credit for getting us to a World Cup semi final and then a European Championship final. I do think the problem that people have with Southgate, and I think I don't think anyone could argue with it, is. In the World Cup semi-final and in the final of the Euros, he made terrible decisions that ultimately cost us the game. And that's that's the problem. He's doing a good job to get us there, but then he's folding in the major moments of those games. Hopefully, I think he deserves the next tournament because hopefully if he's learned from those two games and he can get us there again, then hopefully, he won't, <laughs> yeah, he, hopefully he won't make those, those same mistakes again. And then... You know, hopefully we can go on and uh, and win it this time. I mean, hopefully Scotland are in that final. If you've watched Tomorrow War, so <laughs> no, is it, they're in it. It's great. Um, the Golden Boot. I went with Lukaku. Now he got joint third place with four goals. So uh, that's, that's what it is. Um, guys, did any of you go an absolute worldie and say Patrick Schick or Ronaldo? Um, I went with Harry Kane. Got third, got third, yeah, got third. Yeah, that's another worst show. I mean, I did fear when like, the first three games he didn't score, but you know, it came good, and that's all that matters. Chris, I, I, I picked Harry Kane as well, so yeah, uh, I'm, yeah. I mean, finally, the player to watch who I called the Milan Barish Award. I think I've kind of got a, I've got a fair shout here because I went with event Ukraine's Victor to Shikenkov, and um, he, he didn't get much game time. But I also went with Sweden's Alexander Isaac. Now, he had a great tournament. And for me to say that the award is to be talked about by every major club, will he join, will he not? I think Isaac's probably in that bracket this summer. Probably. Um, I didn't go with Patrick Schick when I probably should have. But, guys, who did we pick? 
Um, just on the, uh, the Isaac point, I thought he was fantastic. And, you know, I think I did briefly mention him and I thought, you know, watching him, I thought, you know, he, he, he's going to be a world-class player because he looked unplayable at times for Sweden. Um, the player that I picked, though, was uh, Kai Havertz, who I thought actually had a really good tournament. Um, I think you could argue mm. he was Germany's best player, uh, especially in the game against Portugal. I thought he gave Portugal an absolutely torrid time. Um, yeah. and he mm. really did give Ruben Diaz the run around. And he looks like he's gaining more and more confidence with each game, Kai Havertz. And I think next season can be a massive, massive season for him. Yeah, that's, 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 that's very spot on. Uh, Chris, who'd you go with? Uh, uh, Kai Havertz was the best player against England as well, I thought. Um, yeah, he's definitely Germany's best player. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I was unlucky with mine because I picked Lorenzo Pellegrini. And then I think it was the day after we recorded the pod, he got injured and missed the tournament. Oh, always so what you're saying is, Chris, what you're saying is it wasn't a very good prediction. <laughs> no, 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 I'm saying if he was there, it would have been <laughs> Well, he's okay, right. He didn't turn okay, up, so he. Yeah. Um. Obviously, we're coming to the end of another episode, but you know, we're going to check the uh the mailbag. So, naturally, we're going to look in that mailbag and check what's been sent into us this week. You've got mail. So, Abin has asked this question. I felt I'd put it in this show because it's so on topic. Um, Mark Gurhi, sale. And the young players apparently not wanting to extend their contracts with Chelsea. He asks, is it the club or the mentality of the players? Um, you could probably argue that it's a, it's a bit of both. What I would say is with the club, I, I do think, and it's we've shown it in the past, that the club sees Chelsea and the young talent pool that we've got as a business almost. And that at the end of the day, if you know they can make profit on them, you know, they, they're going to. Um, that's why I think when we, we could have sold Hudson the door for 40 million, it wouldn't have been the worst shout in the world because we'd have made a 40 million pound profit. You know, in hindsight, so, God. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, so, you know, selling to Maury for, what was it, 25 million? Yeah, it could be a, a massive mistake, but also we've gained 25 million pounds from a homegrown player. So we've made money at the end of the day. Um, with the mentality side of it, I do think players now are wanting to get more and more first-team football and wanting to sort of go abroad and sort of gain more experience over there. When you look at someone like Jadon Sancho, he wasn't happy just staying at Man City. He wanted to go abroad, get first-team football. You know, Bellingham's done it now. I think more and more young players are looking at doing that. I, I don't think... It, 10, 15 years ago, I think they'd have been happy to sit on the bench and then get a few loans and then maybe break in. But I don't think players are happy of doing that now. Yeah, yeah, we've got you've got obviously Lewis Bay, Livermantino, and um, Miles Part Harris, who are obviously kind of stalling on new deals. I, yeah, I, I get it. They want to know are they going to play, and they want to play. I know people are arguing. Well, we did it before, yes, but I think the circumstance was so different. You know, we had a transfer ban, and yeah, we had no exactly. choice but to look within. It doesn't happen often that obviously you could say Man City they they're doing all right, and they've only got Foden who's from their academy. I know we've been different and the mood maybe has changed and I totally think we should be bringing through more. However, we're, we're European champions and you've got to think Tuchel is going to be under a lot of pressure to keep delivering, as it always is. You know, he did transform a team that was in the bottom half of the league to a top four finish and we got to two cup finals, one we won. Uh, he's definitely under pressure to win. It's always going to be pressure because you're at Chelsea. Lampard didn't have that pressure because legend status and obviously the transfer ban. I think as well, when you say about Gurhi, people are upset. I get it. But he keeps, he, Tuchel could stick with three at the back. He's got to beat Thiago Silva. Yes, he's aging. Andreas Christensen, Rudiger, Zuma, Aspilicueta, and Reese James, who could be in the, that role. The thing <sighs> is, as well, the thing is, as well, uh, yeah, you t- you're totally right there. Mark Gurhi's never played a game for us. Yeah, it's so, true. Yeah. And never in the Premier League either. I mean, you know, it's, at the end of the day, and if if we're being linked with players like Har- you can't have the best of both worlds, really. You can't sign a player like Haaland and not let some players go. Look, I, I want us to like, bleed through the youth and, and, you know, play all these really talented young players. But at the end of the day, you can't sign a player like Erling Haaland and not get rid of, say, a Mark Gurhey for 25 million, not get rid of, like, a Loftus Cheek, these, you know, fringe players who, who may or may not be good at Chelsea, you know, you can't take that risk sometimes. Sometimes 
you know, I mean, getting 25 million for Mark Gurhey is ridiculous money, really, because he's never even played a game in the Prem. So, fans yeah. have got to realise that for someone that hasn't played, that's actually a really good bit of business. And now it's 25 million to spend on a on an Erling Haaland or a Declan Rice or, a, you know, whoever. It's a business. That is what it is. That's how Chelsea see it. Now, you know, we have we can get someone big now with potentially that money. So, you got to look at it in a more realistic and level-headed way. Uh, before I bring Chris in, my final point on it is, let's say we miss out on Jules Kunde and um, Ben White or whatever, and we pick Mark Gurry to start and he doesn't do well, and say they move to Arsenal, Spurs or whatever, and they do well. Football is very short, short-term-minded. short We would get so much stick for that. Oh, look what you, you missed out on a, a superstar. It would be. That's how football works. If it went the other way, obviously it'd be a genius move, but... That's that's football. It's very short-termism and it's very what they did today and not yesterday. Chris, yeah, exactly. what are your thoughts on this? Well, the sort of the last point I'll make on on, Ger, on the Gerhi situation is that that move can't be judged until the end of this season coming. Exactly. Because the everyone who's going against the club now saying we shouldn't have sold him. If he goes to Crystal Palace and, ha- and has a terrible season, which I hope he doesn't, but if he does, everyone will be talking about how good it was getting 25 million for a player who's not Premier League quality. Mm-hmm. If he goes there and has an outstanding season, it'll go the other way. But you can't judge a move. You can't judge the club on the move until you've seen him in the Premier League. Um, yeah. Look, uh, at the end of the day, I'm sure people, uh, I'm sure Liverpool fans would have moaned about selling Rian Brewster for 25 yeah. million to Sheffield United. Yeah. Yeah, but look how yeah. that's turned out. Now it exactly. could be exactly the same as Gurhi. I mean, what, last season we were all, what I say we, there was a, a minority again arguing about Nathan Aki. Why did we let Man City get him? Why? Oh, what a bad move. We should have bought him. Did he do anything? And uh, he's a good player, but did he do anything for Man City last season? No. no. And now we're looking no. at it going, oh, we got away with that one. Yep. That's, yeah. how, it works. that's how football works. On the, the, the sort of mentality side of it, though, and is it the club's fault, is it the players? I think there's a couple of things. One is, I think, young English players, when they was at top clubs, they had, they had two choices. It was either leave and go and play at the lower divisions mm-hmm. or go out on loan to the lower divisions. And that was really their only choices. So that's why a lot more of them stayed around. Um, whereas now you've got young players, young English players in France, Germany, Italy, mm-hmm. Holland, there's a lot more, there's a bigger market now for them. So they've got more power to say that they want to go and play first team football and they can find first team football abroad at a good level, especially yeah. in the Bundesliga. So I don't think I don't think the club can be blamed for that because if those players aren't ready to come into our first team, but they can go and get first team football at a Bayer Leverkusen who might qualify for the Champions League in Germany, then I don't think the club can stand in their way either. I think it's nice to see that we've learned with the buyback clause I think that is that is the most crucial thing. When you're letting young players go, if you can always insert that buyback clause, it always gives us, or even a, a first refusal, it always gives you the option of getting those players back. Mm. And I think a lot of this problem with the young players now, I think, I, th- I said it at the time, putting Callum Hudson-Odoi on the money that we did was the biggest mistake the club has made. It is mad because, when you think about because it. Because the agents of these young players now We'll throw that in the club's face that we pay Callum Hudson Adoy 130 grand a week or whatever it is. And he's done very little for the first team. He's not a first team regular. I mean, he borders on the on a fringe player at times, and he's on that much money. And I know you know what football agents are like. They will use any sort of leverage they can. And that's what that's what's happened. And we gave by doing that, we gave our youth team players too much power in negotiation. You know, we were better when we let Solanke go when he was demanding £50,000 a week. And we just said, well, no, we're not giving you that. You haven't played a game for us. And we let him leave. And, you know, that that didn't come back to haunt us too much. Um, I think as well, seeing players like Mount and James and that in the first team, it does give the academy players, you know, that sort of hunger to say, well, that's what I want to be doing. But the reality is no top club, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City, Man United. With the the gap now that Man City have created between them and the rest, and Liverpool to a degree, we can't afford to fall behind. We haven't got time at the moment for bringing through instead of signing a, a you know a top quality right back or 
defensive midfielder bringing someone through to the youth team who might take two or three years to get up to speed. We haven't got that time because Man City aren't going to stop spending money. You know, they're on about getting Jack Grealish and Harry Kane this summer. You know, and then we're on about promoting, bringing Brozier in as as our backup striker and Livramento as the backup right back. They might be good players, but they're not. They're not going to close that gap on Man City, and that's what the club have to be looking to do. And the fans might not like it, but they wasn't moaning in May when we was lifting the Champions League about how the club did business. So you can't have it both ways. If if we want to close that gap on Man City, unfortunately for now, youth team for youth the youth academy bringing through the young players, unless they've proven it out on loan somewhere, is going to have to take a back seat. Yeah, I think that's an outstanding view, and I do agree fully behind it. As simple as that. I mean, you've made valid points and brought in valid facts on it. So, yeah, simple as that, really. Um, with that, we've come to the end of another episode of At the Bridge Pod. So, it's time for the social media plugs. Where can we all be found, guys? Uh, who's going first this week? Me or you, Chris? I'll let you decide. You can go first, Berth. Why not? Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, on Twitter, I am at Chris Burford. And on Twitter, I'm at Chris09Adams, and you can find the blog, which there isn't, I will just plug this, there's an interesting article I put on there today uh, about how transfers work in the real world. So all these Chelsea fans who are worried about what the Harlem <laughs> signing might be taking so long, give it a read and you'll find out why, because it was quite eye-opening to me researching it as to why transfers sometimes do drag on. Yeah, um, but it's, and it's you... so easy though on FIFA. Oh no, this is it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm full this... manager. It's so easy. Like, honestly, I just anyway, offer like... I just offer a player and a fee and talk to someone in a hotel or an office and it's away. We're we're done. Yeah. Twenty minutes, we're done. <laughs> um, yeah, you can find that at Pitch Pundits. And of course you can find myself on Twitter and Instagram as that redhead dude. But for all things at the Bridge Pod, you can find us on the usual social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram by searching for at the Bridge Pod. Drop us that like and a follow. You can keep up to date on all things Chelsea. And finally, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Leaving us a five-star review. It helps out, helps build that community. Until next time, listeners, that is us signing off.